0: hundred percent it's your mindset and belief that you can do it because if you don't have the belief in yourself that you can do it you're not going to actually achieve it it's the message that your brain gives to you if you tell yourself that you're going to achieve something nine times out of ten you will but if you keep questioning it that's what your focus is on and you focus on the negative instead of the positive
1: There's a lot of advice out there about how to start a business, but not as much to help entrepreneurs grow past a solid six-figure revenue into seven-figure territory. Tristan Wright, founder of Evolve to Grow, is an expert in what it takes to scale a small business to a million dollars and beyond. And he's sharing that expertise on today's podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman. And in today's interview, I'm picking Tristan's brain to find out what makes a small business scalable. Smart systems is a big part of this, and he'll explain how to develop and use those as a business grows, along with advice on marketing to expand your customer base, building and managing a team, and all the other details that drive a business to fast growth. Let's get right into the conversation. Tristan, how's it going? Thanks for joining us.
0: I'm doing really well. Thank you very much for having me today.
1: So to kind of get us started, can you give us a little context on your background? How did Evolve to Grow come to be? What motivated you to start it? And how'd you gain the expertise you needed?
0: Evolved to Grow, I set that up, I think it was seven years ago now, and it was off the back of me blowing up my previous business. So I ran and operated a custom sportswear business, set it up in my early 20s and built it into a seven-figure business. Then all of a sudden, it blew up external factors, internal factors. I was 200 grand in debt. Fortunately, over a period of time, I was able to rebuild it. I rebuilt it into some figure business that didn't need me to operate it daily. And I eventually sold it. And off the back of selling it, I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do. So I did a lot of soul searching and realized that I'd learned so many lessons in my business. And I had the knowledge, expertise, to be able to help others on their journey to grow their businesses. So I thought, why not go and help other businesses grow their business in a way that they wouldn't have to work 60-hour weeks.
1: When you look back on that moment of the cycling business falling apart, what do you think, as you look back on it, the fatal mistake might have been that kind of led you into that, oh no, it's all blown up now?
0: Arrogance. Nothing else. Ego, arrogance. So I would say I lived a blessed life up until that period and I'd been able to grow the business without having any mistakes or without needing external guidance or support. So I thought, oh yeah, life's going to continue like this. Business is going to continue like this. But I didn't know what I didn't know. And then when a curveball was thrown at me, I had no idea how to deal with it.
1: That's such an interesting insight because I think that, you know, when we think about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurialism, there is a certain amount of arrogance that kind of like goes into the personality. So I'm curious, what kind of mental or psychological shifts did you feel like you had to make within yourself to get the company back on track when you started to rebuild it?
0: I think the biggest thing was I had to realize that I wasn't the expert at everything and that I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know and that if I wanted to get it back on track, I would need to do things differently because what I'd been doing wasn't necessarily going to get me out of my hole. So I needed to get external support and guidance and get over myself and realize that I could go and do this, potentially make changes, but it would take 5, 10, 20 years to make those changes. Or I could learn from others past mistakes and learn from How others run their business and supercharge the changes. And then fix the business up a whole heap quicker. So I was sitting at home and I was like, I'm sick of feeling the way I'm feeling. Like I wasn't enjoying being 200 grand in debt. I wasn't enjoying not knowing what to do. And I wasn't enjoying that I couldn't be there for my friends, my family, and my staff. And if I kept going the same way, I was just going to spiral out of control. So the option was give up, sell the business. Not that I could have sold it at that point. I would have just shut it down and gone and got a day job and taken years to pay it back. Or I decide that I can go and get help from others, get over myself and have them teach me or guide me on how to improve the business.
1: Do you think it is possible to kind of make that shift in mindset without first hitting a low point? Because you're certainly not the first entrepreneur to go through that and probably won't be the last. So I'm curious if there are ways that somebody can say, okay, wait, I need to adjust my mindset before I get to that point. Is that possible?
0: That's a really, really good question. Is that possible? I think it's learned, but we can learn it from others. And it's like sympathy versus empathy. One is that you've been through it and one is that you're supporting someone that's been through it. So one is you actually physically understand, one is that you don't physically understand but you can support them. So in this case, it's about taking your blinkers off and seeing what others have been through and realize that business isn't always rosy and all the people that are successful will have been through highs and lows and actually learning from their journey and having people share their journeys with you. And when you actually hit some of these lows, it'll be a lot easier for you to bounce back and move forward. So you'll be able to identify those lows before they become too great.
1: Are there any common signs that someone should be looking out for that might be early indicators that the business is in trouble and the owner needs to start making some adjustments before it's maybe too late? If we're thinking about from a
0: profitability standpoint, do business owners actually have metrics to track the direction that the business is heading in? If you don't have metrics, how do you know what direction your business is heading in? So I didn't have metrics for my previous business. So I just knew that I had lots and lots of money coming into the bank account for a period of time. So I didn't have boundaries or I didn't have anything to identify that whether the business is going well or not. So if a business owner doesn't have metrics, I'm saying metrics, not KPIs in this case, if we don't have anything to measure against, we can't identify if we're going well or if we're going poorly. So first step is build in some measures so you can measure if you're being successful or if you're heading in the wrong
1: direction. From an emotional standpoint, if someone out there listening is a business owner who's already struggling or maybe feels overwhelmed by where they're at in the business, what would you recommend be their first step to identify and addressing what the problem might be? I dare
0: say that the majority of business owners feel overwhelmed sometime within their business. Like I still get overwhelmed at times within business. So the first thing is you've got to have someone at your level to talk to, someone that you trust, because as a business owner, we often don't feel like we can open up and share what's going on with our staff. Because that impacts them, and the staff end up getting stressed. So the best strategy is to find someone that you trust, that you can open up and talk to about what's happening in your business, good, bad, and the ugly. That's literally the first step. So So many business owners don't have someone that they can talk to at a deep level about their business.
1: Now, out of the cycling company and out of your experience there, you went and you started Evolve to Grow. So what did you do differently in the founding of that company based on your experience with the cycling company?
0: So many different things. So the cycling clothing company was a product-based business. And I made the choice that I didn't want to run a product-based business anymore because I didn't want to carry stock. Holding stock or buying and selling means you've got to transfer a whole heap more money just to be profitable. So I wanted to sell knowledge as opposed to a product. And by selling knowledge, there was a lot less risks for me. So that was number one. But number two was that I actually valued my worth. In the, the cycling clothing company, there was times that I would just make a sale just to get cash through the door, just to fund the next month. And that meant I was constantly chasing my tail. In this business, I knew what I knew and I still know what my worth is. So I don't chase a sale. People come to me and I say, this is a value proposition. This is what I'm charging. And I don't discount on that. That means people come to me as opposed to me having to chase them. And I'm a much more cash flow positive business based off that mindset.
1: With this different perspective on the industry that Evolved Grow offers you, what is the most common mistake that you're seeing other small business owners make and how is that hurting them in the long term?
0: The most common mistake, honestly, is the business owners don't know who they're selling to. They try to sell to everyone. And what I mean by that is they don't become a subject matter expert and they don't niche down enough and they'll become a generalist. So they're selling to anyone that could potentially purchase their product rather than selling to an industry and charging more because they're the subject matter expert in that industry.
1: Reminder for our listeners that if you enjoy listening to our podcast, we'd love it if you headed over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this show right now to rate and review the show. Reviews help us grow our audience so we can keep making great episodes just like this one. After you started evolve to grow, how long did it take before it became profitable? And what do your revenue numbers look like today? And what are some profit margins?
0: So after I started evolve to grow, I because in the early days my only ever expense was my salary, so it was almost profitable from day one. But it's now got to the point where like I've got three staff offshore in the Philippines, that they're my only ongoing expenses and then my salary. So I've been running it for Evolve to Grow for six years and I am very much multi-six figure revenue and multi-six figure salary for me. So it's because I'm selling a knowledge-based product. Typical profit margins in the coaching industry or the coaching consulting industry are a lot higher than other industries because you've got the ability to have a massive impact on business owners. Very different story for the cycling wear business though. Like It took a lot longer to become profitable with the cycling wear business than it did for Evolve to Grow.
1: I guess maybe this ties into this question here because, you know, I'm curious about how long someone who is like, OK, I'm going to start a business, we're going to grow it to seven figure revenue. Here we go. How long is that going to take them? I would guess that it depends on, at least in some part, what type of industry they decide to enter into.
0: Totally. Very much so. What type of industry that they enter into and the service delivery model. And for me, I actually don't focus on the seven figure revenue milestone. I focus on the dollar value that you want to get into your back pocket. What is it that you want to have as a net benefit salary and dividends that you want to come back to you? Because there can be one seven figure business where the business owner is making $50,000 per annum, or there could be another seven figure business that's structured totally differently. And they're making 400,000 per annum. So for me, why would you want to run a seven-figure business if you're only taking 50000 Why not focus on selling the highest margin, highest impact service or product with the least revenue that will give you the highest net benefit to yourself personally?
1: I think that makes a ton of sense. So with that, can you give us what those types of businesses might be? What are the best kind of niches for someone who wants to run that seven-figure business and take home multiple six figures?
0: From my experience, it's got to be some form of knowledge transfer that has a impact on the other business sales and profit. So I would like to marketing, sales, lead gen, but actually getting those results and then if we park marketing sales lead gen, you focus on an industry that you're selling to that has high profit margins and is evergreen, that is recession-proof. So because if you're selling to an industry that is not recession-proof, eventually you're not going to be recession-proof either. Or if you're selling into an industry that is always cost-cutting just to make the next sale, they're going to not value your service or your value as much either. So focus on an industry that is always making money, medicine, doctors, dentists, for instance, that have got high margins and are needed summer, winter, recession, growth periods. That way you're going to be a whole hit more stable
1: ongoing. I want to ask about the kind of beginnings of the business and somebody starting a business, I guess. And I'm curious what you would say are those things you absolutely need to have in place to lay a solid foundation for the business with growth in mind you need to start with the end in mind. What do you actually
0: want to get out of your business and what do you want it to do for you personally? So don't just say, hey, I want to have a seven or eight figure business that does X, Y, and Z. That's too loose. That's too vague. You need to be so much more specific about what is the end goal for this business. Draw a line in the sand in say five or 10 or 15 years. What does the business look like? What is the impact that that business has had on external parties? And what is the impact that business has had on yourself? Then reverse engineer that and identify what are the stepping stones and what are the stepping stones that you need to achieve in five years, in three years, one year, in three months to be on track to achieve that. So many business owners or entrepreneurs set up a business just with the aim of making money. And that's why they end up spinning the wheels for so long and not actually growing.
1: So if you start with the end in mind, obviously that gives you one big goal that you're going for, but there's plenty of goals in between. So I'm curious about that early goal setting. How do you set goals early on that are both ambitious? and achievable?
0: Let's say in a three-month period, business owners often set goals that are way too big and they don't achieve their goals in three months or six months or 12 months and they give up. So my Suggestion is sure you want to run a seven figure business. If you're starting from scratch, let's target in your first three months to be at a run rate of a hundred thousand per annum, for instance. And if we need to be at a run rate of a hundred thousand per annum, what does that mean? That means we need to be doing about ten thousand dollars a month, roughly. Okay, so if we're looking at that. What's the easiest way to get to $10,000 per month? We want three clients that we can sell to for $3,300 every single month ongoing. What's the service offering that we can have that we only have to find three clients that will buy from us ongoing at 3500 ish per month? So rather than having to continually resell, what's the simplest way to hit $10,000 per month?
1: We love asking about systems on this show and and standard operating procedures. So my first question in that category is what systems or SOPs are you using to manage your business? What
0: systems aren't I using? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my entire business is, is systematized or, or systemized. Everything has to be repeatable. I've got a saying, and I was talking to a friend yesterday and I said, my business is boring. And he asked me, what do you mean by that? I said, I've designed my business so well that everything is so repeatable that it's boring. And he's like, isn't that the goal? We want to make our business boring so we know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. So we know that each and every week we're going to have a consistent amount of revenue come in. So yes, we want to be excited about our business, but we want to design in such a way that it's an engine that it can be boring, which will allow you to step away and add something else in. So think about how do you make your business boring? boring. How do you make your sales, your outreach process repeatable? So, okay, every single day, you need someone within your business making 30 phone calls. From a finance perspective... Once a week, you need to have a finance hygiene checklist to check these seven different areas within the business. From a HR perspective, once a month, you need to go through your checklist to make sure all of these things are happening correctly in your business. So anything that happens within the business should have a playbook around it so that it can be repeated on a a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis.
1: So how do you go about making your business boring? What's the process for developing and implementing a new system?
0: So, this is the part that gets so confusing and overwhelming for many business owners is that very first step. So, for me, I say, let's get out a piece of paper and bullet point all the different tasks in the business. And I get people to categorize them into a daily, weekly. Do they need to happen on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, or a quarterly basis? And That document probably needs to be revisited once a month because we're not going to be able to think about them all the time. And then from there, I say, which of these ones are repeatable and which of these ones are highest impact? We get the highest impact, most repeatable ones done first, and we document how we do that job or how we do that task. And then when we're documenting it, we often realize that, oh, okay, I'm not actually doing it the most efficient way. Let's make it a more efficient way. Then we re-document it and then it's there for someone else to do that job. From there, it's in your project management system and there's a task reminder that this one needs to happen daily or weekly, whatever it is. And then on an ongoing basis, you go back to that checklist and go through the highest impact, most repeatable tasks in order and document them.
1: So then once you have systems in place and you are going through the normal hygiene process, what happens if you start to uncover that a system needs improving? What do you do and what are you watching that kind of indicates that the system needs to be improved? So first thing is if the system needs to be improved is the best way to identify it is
0: if the team's actually following the process or the system. One of my clients has developed processes for her team to follow, but she went back in and checked some of them last week and she realized that her team weren't actually following them. So we worked out there was no feedback loop to go back to her from her staff to say, hey, the staff to the business owner that these systems aren't working, we found a better way. So I say to my clients, once you've created a system or process, doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever. You need to be constantly working at them and you need to have a feedback loop from your team to say, hey, I think this is working. or No, I don't think this is working. We need to update and improve upon them. So I've got in my business a quarterly meeting that we actually go through all of the different areas within the business to see are our systems actually best practice tool or our processes best practice or is our business shifted in such a way that we need to can a system and update it and change the way we do things
1: this is going to bring us to a section of our show we call our fan blitz questions these come from our youtube community you can go over to youtube.com slash upflip and join the community and pose questions to future podcast guests so tristan we have five questions for you we're going to try and get through in about a minute are you ready
0: let's see hopefully Uh, i
1: am First, what's the biggest misconception that people have about your job? And
0: this is probably from a marketing perspective, is that people think I come in and actually make the changes for them rather than educate them and show them how to do it.
1: At this stage of success, what advice would you give to your teenage self?
0: Don't be afraid to screw up. You can make mistakes. You'll learn from them. Go and do it.
1: What's the biggest purchase you've ever made?
0: From a financial perspective, probably all of the properties that we've purchased.
1: In three words, what would you like to tell all the naysayers now that you've made it this far? I don't care about them, so I don't need to tell them anything. It's just their bad luck. And last one here, can you tell us about your most bizarre business encounter? Oh, most bizarre business encounter.
0: I randomly get people pitching to me their multi-level marketing business and they come to me as if they want coaching but then they're like no I want you to promote my multi-level marketing business and I'm like why (laughs) I don't like multi-level marketing so I've had a few of them recently they're my most bizarre business encounters I would say pretty boring but yeah
1: That is going to do it for our fan blitz questions. Again, those come from our YouTube community. You can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. Tristan, just a few more questions for me, but first I wanted to see if you wanted to sell some oils. I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Um, (laughs) That jump from six figures to seven figures can feel like such an arduous task for a lot of business owners. But while it is also such a major goal for so many, what's a common mistake that business owners might be making when they're trying to
0: make that leap? Trying to run the business the same way, from a $300,000 business to a $1 million business, businesses run totally different at to that level in your mindset and about how you operate should be totally different. At a $300,000, $400,000 business, you need to do 90% of the work yourself. At a $1 million business, you should be doing 20% of the work yourself and delegating and empowering your team. So letting go is the, the biggest mistake that business owners would make there.
1: You've made some mention of marketing throughout the conversation, but I'm curious what kind of marketing software or tools you're currently using and how those have helped you grow your business. I use ClickUp for my project management, but tie that into ActiveCampaign.
0: So ActiveCampaign is all of my email outreach, communication management, and then I'll tie that back into ClickUp. So I'm all about keeping it simple and then obviously use social media channels for marketing. So less is more.
1: We talked about systematizing a business and obviously systems can then lend themselves to taking that next step to automation. So can you talk about how automation helps scale a business and what some best practices for implementing automation can be?
0: Anything that can be repeated should be automated. So my emails that go out are automated. A lot of my outreach to contacts is automated it looks like it's personalized people believe it's personalized but when you're doing business development if you can communicate with multiple people at once why would you do it manually if you could send an email out to 30 people at the same time kind of thing so many different ways of automation and i working with my clients all of my training programs i create something once and then there's automations off the back of it that communicate and share that with them and do automatic follow-ups so anything that can be repeated should be automated basically there can be a system around it
1: this question's in our script here but i'm curious about growth of the team obviously you made mention earlier that your team is three people is there are there more people on the team currently
0: yeah i've got three full-time staff and then i do have a few contractors as well
1: how have you gone about finding that talent to bring them into the company
0: my first team member is actually an automations expert so i'm all about keeping the headcount low. So I thought, let's find someone that I can share my systems and processes and ideas with and I'll let her create automations off the back of it. So she was my first hire and then I've got a couple of other staff. But going back to your question, how do I find them? For me, it's where's the gap in the business and where's the business going? Let's create a position description off the back of that. We hire for the need of the business rather than hiring a person that we think
1: will fit. Is that a need of the business potentially that a skill set is missing or this is the next phase of things to delegate off of my plate or maybe a combination of both? In my business specifically, I want to keep my revenue at the same level
0: or higher, but I want to be working less. So if I'm working less, it allows me to then focus on growing the business and increasing the revenue. So it's about as you're doing that six-figure to seven-figure jump and then to multi-seven-figure jump, it's about first of all, what are the lower value items that will free up time for the business owner? Let's find someone to do that. So that's typically behind the scenes, not client facing. And then our next step is how do we get more client facing work done by staff or or subcontractors? Because if we can get the client facing work done by staff, that frees up more of your time to then focus on adding in other offers to increase the value of the business.
1: How difficult did you find it to delegate tasks or with the goal in mind always that you wanted to, you know, work less and delegation is the way to do that? Were you able to kind of get over that? Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with delegation. I was relatively fortunate. Like in my first business, I set it
0: up when I was running a day job. So I always knew that if I wanted to grow the business, that I would have to delegate straight away because otherwise I wouldn't grow at scale. So I was always delegating from day one. And I've got the mindset that I know a lot, but I'm not a 10 out of 10 with everything that I know. So I would rather hire subject matter experts that I can share my concepts with and allow them to be the subject matter expert and deliver upon it better than me. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You don't want to be the smartest person in the business. You want to have subject matter experts that you can trust that will do it better than you, that you can guide them along your journey with the outcome that you want your business to achieve.
1: What are some red flags that a business is maybe not ready to grow? It
0: all comes down to the business owner and the business owner's mindset. So what does a business owner want from their business? Do they want to grow or not want to grow? If they're happy with where they are, why would you take the business to the next level? And if they do want to grow, it's about looking at Do you have too many leads coming in too much in terms of sales? What's your profitability right now? So it might be that your revenue is good and you've got a lot of leads coming in, but your profit margins aren't very high. So potentially before taking the next level with increasing sales, you need to improve your systems and your processes so that you can be a lot more efficient in the way you deliver work so your profit margins can grow. Then once that's happened, you can then take on more clients and not blow up everything that's happening behind the scenes and your staff will still be happy.
1: When we talk about growth, often that involves an infusion of capital. Is that always the case? And if it is, what are some of the best ways to access financing for that growth? I disagree with getting external capital in the
0: industries that I play in. I don't believe like in small business at a 200K up to say 5 million in revenue, I don't think you should need to go and get an infusion of capital because it's taking a massive risk. Unless you're in IT and software that you know that the business is going to get into multi-eight figure region, you often can grow the business slightly slower and slightly smarter with less risk by not getting external capital as long as you've got a proper strategy in place. So, I wouldn't recommend getting external finance to grow a business. It's okay to have a buffer there if you've got bad payment terms with some of your clients, but you should be fixing the payment terms up first. So yeah, it's probably a tiny bit different answer to what you're expecting.
1: No, that was great. And I think this kind of ties into this next question, which is the dreaded I word, inflation. How is that impacting small business growth? And is there anything that small business owners should be doing or considering given the kind of uncertainty around inflation currently?
0: There's going to be businesses that. Don't actually have a good value proposition go out of business over the next six and 12 months. So, I've got an article that I published about three or four years ago on my website. It probably gets the most hits out of all of them. It's called More Millionaires Are Made in a Recession or a Downturn Than in a Normal Economy. And so, We've got to think about inflation and and recessions. When we say inflation, we've got to think recession at the same time because there's the potential for a recession too. So, And what I mean by more millionaires are made is the companies or the business owners that have got a proper value proposition and know how to sell that value are, are going to gobble up all of the work from the businesses that don't have a proper value proposition. So for me, it's about knowing what your worth is and actually selling it to businesses that need your value, because there's going to be a lot of businesses that drop off over the next couple of months.
1: What's the most challenging part of scaling a small business to seven figures?
0: Confidence that you can do it and understanding that it is not a straight journey that there will be times that you fall off the beaten path that you have to pick yourself up and that you have to continually learn you have to keep stepping outside of your comfort zone and stepping into that fear zone so you can actually learn and you can actually grow and so it's mindset
1: that's probably the biggest challenge maybe this is a similar answer here but you could cite one thing as the key to unlocking seven-figure revenue what would it be and why it's your mindset and belief that you can do it. Because if you don't have the
0: belief in yourself that you can do it, you're not going to actually achieve it. It's the message that your brain gives to you. If you tell yourself that you're going to achieve something, nine times out of 10 you will. But if you keep questioning it, that's what your focus is on. And you focus on the negative instead of the
1: positive. But Once a business reaches seven figures, what do they do to sustain that?
0: Often, you'll get to seven figures. If you get to seven figures, it's because you've had a good sales pipeline. It's about maintaining your client base and not trying to sell to new clients, but reselling to your current clients. So many businesses growing forget that it is easier to sell or to upsell to your current clients and to maintain your current clients rather than going and finding new clients. So nurture your current client base and keep upselling to them.
1: How important is long-term strategy and vision for a small business owner? And how do you cultivate that vision?
0: It's everything. Because otherwise, if you don't maintain
1: connected to your end
0: goal, to your vision, when you go through the tough times in business you'll be just like, screw this, why am I doing it? And then you'll go off for a couple of weeks and not focus on the business and you'll spin your wheels and that might happen multiple times and then you're not going to actually have a chance to hit that end goal. So it's the number one most important thing is what are you doing and why are you doing that? And the best way to cultivate that for yourself and for your team is to understand what the benefit to you is once you achieve that and what the benefit to you is right now. And the same for the team. What's the benefit to them when they achieve it and what's the benefit to them right now?
1: If you could pick the one thing that people take away from this interview, what would it be? Oh, What would that be?
0: It goes back to the blitz question and it is the answer that I gave about What advice would I give to my teenage self? It is don't be afraid to do, don't be afraid to make a mistake and don't be afraid to learn from that mistake and continually make those mistakes.
1: What's your favorite business book and
0: why? There's too many favorite business books, but I love uh, Leif Babbin and Jocko Willink's leadership books. So it's just explained in such a, it's taken it from the SEAL type ways and the methodologies that they use and take it across to business consulting and how to live life as a leader. So, and it talks about you needing to own your mistakes and own the actions that happen above you and beneath you. So the books from Leif Babbin and Jocko
1: Willink. Tristan, where can people find out more about you and the work you're currently doing?
0: Easiest way would be to search my name, Tristan Wright, Evolve to Grow, and you'll find my website, LinkedIn, social media profiles
1: that is going to do it for this episode of the upflip podcast if you were fired up by this topic uh, you can check out some previous podcast interviews one with matt hewlett episode 41 with great advice on starting and growing an online business or episode 39 with cliff ravenscraft learning how to cultivate that right business mindset and as always please don't forget to leave us a rating or in review wherever you're listening to this show tristan wright founder of evolve to grow thanks so much for joining us
0: thank you very much for having me